pray real quick, and then we'll get into uh, God's Word. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we celebrate him here this morning. We celebrate his birth, his coming. God, as we look this morning into the truth of the incarnation, that great gift that you have given us. Lord, we're thankful for children this morning as we get to see the joy that they bring to our lives, especially in this season, as they just be with excitement, singing your glory. God, let us approach the kingdom just as those children do, humbly seeking you uh, with the joy of seeing the king. And God, open our hearts and our minds as we receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this week of Advent Conspiracy, we are looking at giving more, okay, giving more, uh, which might sound odd because last week we talked about what? Spending less. Okay, how does that work? Let me unpack that for you uh, this morning. But hopefully uh, last week's sermon was a breath of fresh air in the midst of a busy holiday season. Anybody started to feel the pinch of busyness? In the Christmas season, I know I am, right? They sleep and try to sleep that that alarm clock in the morning is coming a little bit earlier, it seems, each and every day. Not enough sleep at night. Uh, the season might be catching up to you, but again, hopefully that sermon last week was just kind of a breath of fresh air to reset you, uh, to focus you on Christ. And I'm hoping hoping this morning uh, will be the same. So we're now in the full swing, we're inundated with all the buy message, buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff, give, give, give. Uh, the kids are eagerly awaiting the gifts that are probably starting to stack up under the tree. Uh, the gospel, though, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, it turns this season on its head. And it's mind-boggling that, that every year our annual celebration of the birth of Christ, that's the reason for the Christmas season, right, is Jesus, that we do have to reset and refocus on him because there's so many things in life that distract us. And my hope is this morning as we dive into God's Word, as we look at the work of Christ in coming into the world, that we can, again, focus on Him this Sunday morning. That the truth is this, that the greatest gift that has ever been given came 2,000 years ago. Came 2,000 years ago. We're going to read about that this morning in John, if you look at 1, 14 to 18. It says, The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Says John testified concerning him, he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and has made him known. Mind blown. When you read a passage like that, verse 14, the word became, the word here is who? Who are we talking about when it says the word, big W? Jesus, right? Okay, the Word became what? Flesh. So Jesus, so God came in the flesh and made, it says, His dwelling among us. God is among us. That, just reading those words right there, should completely rattle us. Mind-blowing 
that the God who created everything, the triune God, would come and humble himself in this way. That he would be among us. God came to us. The Son, now hear this, he wasn't created in that instant. He's always existed. We want to make that clear. The Son has always existed in eternity in perfect relation with God the Father and God the Spirit. We believe in a trinity, that God is a trinity. He is three in one. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing in perfect unity and relationship together. That Jesus came into history, he humbled himself in perfect obedience to the plan of redemption set before him. You see, this wasn't a mistake. It's God's eternal plan of redemption, and this plan, we can come to this conclusion, was the means that God would bring himself the greatest glory, because this is what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of bringing himself glory. And this plan brings God the greatest glory, that he would humble himself in the form of a serpent, putting on flesh and blood, and coming and dwelling with his people. John Piper says it this way. He says, the entrance of the Son of God into the world is called, this word, the incarnation. Okay, when we say incarnation, that means that Jesus came in human flesh and walked earth. We believe he was fully human. And we affirm that Jesus was fully human, fully God, that he dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. John Piper says, the entrance of the Son of God in the world is called the Incarnation. And here it is. It is a great gift of God. And he says this, that we did not deserve. It's the gift that we don't deserve. That God would humble himself, a perfect, loving, fully just God would, would humble himself in the form of a servant and come. A gift that we are incredibly undeserving of. In this season of the naughty and nice list, right? We're all on the naughty list and completely undeserving of God coming into this world. It's a gift that we don't deserve. You see, but Jesus, this is our first point for this morning. Jesus gives us this. He gave us his presence. Okay, not presence under the tree, but his presence, himself, the incarnation. Jesus gave us his presence. Again, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God with us. You hear that, that name of God, Emmanuel, which means God with us? God's great gift to us is this, Himself. Him. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself. Who? God. And is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. What did Jesus accomplish? He made God known. You may have heard me say this in the past. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you ever wonder what's God like? Read the Gospels. Look at the life of Christ. You know exactly what God is like. Because he came in the flesh 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ. Speaking of the Incarnation, Pastor Eugene Peterson says it this way. I love this. He says, 
the word became flesh and blood, and he says it this way, and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Doesn't that hit home? And he came in. He was among his people. Weird. He dwelt among us. He's dwelling, but man, he just moved into the neighborhood. The U-Haul truck pulled up. He was there. He was with his people. He was down and dirty. He was around the least of these. He was poor. We've said this every week. He was, he was born to marry a scared teenage girl. The unlikeliest of, of vessels to carry the Son of God, Mary. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Colossians 1.15 says this of, of Jesus. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit. All of these aspects speak to transformation that needs to occur in our lives. So oftentimes we, we think of Christmas as a time to get the stuff we need. Right, guys? Like we're counting down the days until those new socks and those new undies are going to be in the stocking, right? Because those holy socks are hanging on for dear life. And one time a year we get socks. Christmas time. We're hanging on for those things. So oftentimes we think of Christmas as a time to get stuff or to give material things to the ones we love. This, this part of Christmas is fun. We love getting stuff. It's enjoyable. There, there are a few things that rival witnessing our children go to the tree on Christmas morning and open up presents. Isn't that fun to watch? The anticipation. But what does the incarnation teach us about the gift that God values? It's the reason you were created. It was to bring him glory, and we bring him glory through our vertical relationship with God. We have relationships that are vertical and horizontal. God has fixed our vertical relationship with him through who? Through the person and work of Jesus. It's the purpose of the incarnation. And we don't want to miss that in the Christmas season, because sometimes we get so focused on the baby how did Ricky Bobby say it in, in Talladega Nights, right? The little baby, he's praying the little baby, right? We get so focused on the little baby that we miss the whole work of Christ on the cross. The incarnation was about a vertical relationship with God. And here's the thing. We reflect that vertical relationship that's been fixed with God through Christ by displaying our transformation in what I would call our horizontal relationships. What are our horizontal relationships? Look around the room. People. Look in your phone and look at mom and dad and kids and brothers and sisters. Those are horizontal relationships. So we reflect our vertical relationship with God through what? Through our horizontal relationships. We call this, we, we love God by what? Loving other people. And God has transformed us in a way to, to fix those things, to fix those relationships. How do we, this is the question, how do we, last week we talked about spending less, how do we spend less and yet what, give more? 
How do we spend less and give more? Jesus gave us his presence. We give more through giving of our presence, our person, to other people. Because of Jesus, give more of your presence. We talked about last week, what was the greatest gift parents that you could receive from your kids? A lot of you shout out time, right? Their presence. And yet it's so difficult because we talked about all of us being busy. We're all busy. What an incredible gift that time is to give to those relationships that matter the most to you. Because of Jesus, give more of your presence. Be present to those you care most about. This gift speaks to your willingness to spend time with people, and time is a sacrifice. This is something that I realize as I, I get older, the most valuable thing that I have is not money, it is what? My time. Because those 24 hours, they go quick, don't they? Time. Be present to those you care most about. How do we give more? We give time to the people that we care about and that we love. I have this principle for you this morning because some of you may be thinking like, man, I just don't have enough time to do all that. I have so many friends, so many family. Here's something that I've had to, as a, as a pastor in ministry, because there are so many people that vie for my time. I, mean, I can fill up every minute of the day. I love it that people want me to be at their things, but I can fill up every minute of the day if I was present at every one of those things. And a pastor told me this a long time ago. He says, do for a few, do for a few what you would like to do for many. How are we present for people? We do for a few, those closest to us, those that God has called us to pour into the most, we do for a few what we would do for many. You see how practical that is? Because we can't do it all. We don't have enough minutes in the day, do we? And so many times... That's the tension of the Christmas season is that I can't be present at all of these things and I want to be very present with these people. Do it for a few, what you would do for many. Church, it's okay sometimes to say no. I cannot commit to that thing. It's okay. Do for a few what you would do for many. Uh, the second gift of the incarnation is this. Jesus was personal. Jesus was personal. John eleven thirty three. This is an instance, I mean, we can line up the instances of where Jesus is personal. We just look at him calling the disciples. He personally went to them and invited them to come along with him. I love this in John uh, chapter 11. It's, it's the death of Lazarus. Eleven thirty three. it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. We see the personal nature of Jesus right there. The book of John, one of my favorite books in all the Bible. If, if someone is new to Christ, the first book that I tell them to read, read the book of John. Then read it again. Because it's Christ in such a real way and his supernatural work among his people. The book of John brings the work of Christ to heart. 
John just tugs at our heart. The word said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that amazing? We see Jesus weeping in this, in this book. We see death and we see Jesus at work in bringing dead things back to life in Lazarus. That's the story that we're in right here in John 11.33. We witnessed Jesus in a very personal way. He didn't come riding a white horse to set us free, but instead he was a friend to sinners. That's what he was accused of. The religious leaders accused him of this. Jesus, you're so great, you're so perfect, you're a friend of sinners. He was personal. He was engaged. Recapping the death of Lazarus after this passage where we see these people weeping, we learned like that short verse just following this, it says Jesus wept. He felt what was going on here. Lazarus was sick. His family was hoping that Jesus would come and heal him. But what happens? Jesus just so happens to not make it there in time. Or maybe it was on purpose. What happens to Lazarus? What happens? Don't be shy. Come on. He dies. Everybody's heartbroken. Jesus shows up on the scene, and I was going to read it like he's a little nonchalant when he comes walking up, right? Why are you guys all crying? But we see him in his, his personal way. He's affected. And yet, Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do, doesn't he? I mean, is he caught off guard that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? No, but we see the personal nature of Christ right there in that he felt their hurt, he felt their pain, he felt that emotion, that tears ran from his eyes too. And yet he knows in just a few moments what's going to happen. He's going to raise a dead guy to life. Jesus was personal. He was personal. I love we see his humanness here. Sometimes we get so caught up in his his deity, his, his godness, but right here we see Christ humbled and affected by people around him. And I am so incredibly grateful for that because me, I'm a big crybaby too. When I look out and I see people crying, I don't even know what it's about, but man, you better believe it, I'm going to start choking up a little bit. And I love seeing that in our Savior that he knew exactly what he was going to do in that instance. And yet he is affected, and he loves his people so much that what happens? He cries along with them. He cries along with them. Hear this. Jesus is not distant from you. Sometimes we view Christ as being this. He's far off. He's on his throne in heaven. He is very near to you. He has felt with you himself. He has felt pain. He has seen his friends die. He has cried tears. He has been betrayed. All of those things, all of those struggles and sufferings and hurts and pains that you have gone through in life, you have a Savior that can relate to you in a very personal way. Jesus didn't just come and fake through it. He wasn't just some sort of hologram, God just appearing to be a person. He was Jesus' flesh and blood 
dwelling among his people. This is such an important doctrine to the church. He was personal. Someone needs to hear this. Jesus knows your hurt. Jesus knows your pain. But Jesus also knows joy. Because my Savior, Jesus Christ, he raises dead things to life. We see that in Lazarus, and we have a room full of things that used to be dead that are now alive in Christ. Amen? So because of what Jesus has done personally, because of Jesus, in this season and in all of our Christian life, we want to give more personally. We want to give more of ourselves, not just being present, but we want to be invested. You see, the Christian life is about relationship. It's about a vertical relationship with God that has been made right through the righteousness of Christ. And because of this vertical relationship being made right, our horizontal relationships are now transformed. Christ did not just call you to follow him so that you could go and be some pious person off by yourself praying 24 hours a day and not investing a single minute in anybody else. He called you to a personal relationship that transforms all of your other personal relationships. He's called you to hurt with those around you. He's called you to grieve with those around you. He's called you to be joyous with those around you. What a celebration uh, in the church. What I love is when there's a new family, a new family being formed, and they have that first baby. And the church gets us around. I can remember back uh, when my wife and I were first married, and we had Haley, our daughter. My wife and I were going to the church that we had grown up in that we had met in. And I remember that first Sunday, we walked in with Haley, and I remember we sat about the second row, and these people that we were incredibly close with, our close personal relationships, we handed our child to one of them, and by the end of the service, I can remember looking around, where's Haley at? I know everybody in here is freaking out. Like, you guys have hand sanitizer, there's RSV, there's all these different things going around. We were 20 something years old, we didn't know anything about germs, we didn't care. We loved that baby, we were proud of that baby, and we loved those people in that church around us, and we wanted to share that gift with them. Now she's embarrassed right here in the middle of the room. <laughs> Because of Jesus, give more personally. Give more of yourself to other people. Maybe you can't be near the ones you love the most, but you can still be personal with them. Give more personally. A phone call instead of text. I'm preaching to myself here because, man, I love to just text, right? Because it's so easy. I mean, when someone calls on the phone, I look at them like, oh, why didn't you just text me? 
Because of Jesus, be more personal. Answer that phone call or make a phone call. A handwritten note, not just an email. A handwritten note, a thoughtful gift. Distance, many of you are apart from your families or maybe people that you love deeply. Distance shouldn't affect those personal relationships. Be present for them, be personal with them too. Number three, Jesus served, it was costly. Jesus served, it was costly. I love this, John 1, 16. Listen to these words. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace. But he doesn't just stop there. He says we have all received grace in place of what? Grace already given. What an incredible way to say this. Grace in place of grace already given. Jesus has not only given you grace, he's given you this. He's given you grace on top of grace. That's how much grace that Jesus has given you. He's, he's not only just giving you grace, a measure of grace, he's giving you grace on top of grace. He's piling that thing up. Let's not stop short of the full source of joy through the, the incarnation of Christ. We aren't left at the manger with a powerless baby boy. Jesus is the fullness of God's redemptive plan. He is grace on top of grace. It doesn't stop at the manger. It's the fullness of Christ and his, his whole life beginning to end. He served and it was costly. Jesus served and it was costly. His grace was not cheap. It cost him humiliation. It cost him a beating. It cost him friendship. The people that God had been working through and revealing himself to for a long, long time, if you read the Old Testament, the vast majority of them, what? They rejected him. He suffered rejection. He served, and it was costly. He served, and it was costly. Some of his disciples, they're walking around with Jesus, and they're having a discussion about their positions once they get into the kingdom of heaven, once they get into heaven with Christ, and where they're going to sit. You guys remember the story? Some of enemy, right after Jesus had told them, hey guys, I'm going to die. The very next passage says that they're trying to figure out where, where they're going to sit. The other disciples kind of catch wind of what's going on, and pretty soon they're all arguing, trying to jockey for position of where they're going to be. Jesus corrects them in this, and he says this, the Son of Man, the end of Matthew, it's Matthew 20, 28, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and this, and give his life as a ransom for what? Many. 
Jesus served, and it was costly. Hear me, church. It's going to cost you a lot to give more of yourself personally. Who in here has been hurt by somebody else relationally in their life? Come on, y'all bunch of liars with your hands down. It's going to cost a lot. Jesus was betrayed by some of those that were closest to him. Jesus served, and it was costly. I say this to you to prepare you for that. You're going to serve other people in the church, in your family. Man, those family relationships, when, when they don't go right, they hurt, don't they? Jesus served in his costly. Because of Jesus, here's the application. Because of Jesus, serve others. I would say this at all costs, because that's what Christ did for you. Because of Jesus, serve others. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to hurt you. But I can promise you this, too. There's incredible joy that comes out of giving and serving and loving other people. Power in the kingdom of God is not as it seems. God came humbly and he gave everything to us. And because of him, we must be driven to serve. In the Christian life, we, we don't just desire this. In the Christmas season, church, we're striving for this year around. I love Christmas because we see our culture being transformed just a little bit towards kingdom culture. People are a little bit more generous to the Salvation Army bell ringers out in front of the store, right? We drop a couple coins in there. We give a little bit more. But Christianity is about this service breaking into our community at all times. We shouldn't just want to serve and give gifts at Christmas time because we're remembering Christ, but we should be willing to serve all year round. That's the call of Christ on the life of a Christian. What would the world look like if it was transformed with the kindness that flows through the season? What if people acted with just a little bit of the kindness and the service that they had in the season all year round? That can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit given to death things brought to life through the power of Christ. We give more through serving others. We give more through serving others. It doesn't have to be gifts. We can serve others with our time, helping them around their house. We give more by serving others. Lastly, it's the most important point of the day. Jesus bridged the gap. This is the greatest gift that he gives us, that he bridged the gap. We call this the chasm. There was a chasm between us and God because of what? Sin. There's a chasm that Jesus bridged. Jesus bridged that gap. Paul says it like this in Galatians 4, 47. He says, but when the set time had fully come, okay, this wasn't an accident. 
When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, this is a beautiful word, adoption. Adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, ladies, and daughters. You are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And what a beautiful truth. That when you are in Christ, he doesn't leave you to your own means to kind of fumble through life. He imparts his Holy Spirit upon you to lead you and guide you. And I would say this, keep you, to hold on to you. Because if it's up to me, that song come out now, prone to wander. But his spirit seals you and keeps you and holds on to you. What a great gift. That we receive adoption to sonship. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, listen to these words, Abba Father, translated dead. Dead. The most intimate name you can have for death. Put that there. Whatever you call your death, that's the relationship that you have with God the Father. Not because of your work, but because of the work of another, because of the work of Christ. And he says this, you are no longer a slave. You have this idea of freedom. But you are God's child. You've been adopted. And since you are his child, he doesn't just leave you there. This is beautiful. You're not just the kid kind of hang out in the corner of the little redhead stepchild back in the corner, right? No, he's the adopted one back over there. He's kind of wild. God doesn't just leave you there. He says, it says, God says, he also made you an heir. You receive the full benefit of the family. Beautiful. Jesus brings the gap, not just to bring you into the family and kind of set you off in the corner or keep you changed up, but to set you free. And he said, You get everything. My full inheritance. You get to be just like me. What does that mean? Eternal life. A new body. Glorified. You don't have to worry about that. Eternity in the presence of our loving Father. We get a personal relationship with God that we can call Him Daddy. We can call Him Abba, Father. All because of the work of Christ. Jesus bridged the gap. Pastor Paul David Tripp says this. He says, The Christmas story loses its meaning and beauty when it's ripped out of the great redemptive and a historical march. He says it's more than a story of a family with nowhere to stay, singing angels, amazed shepherds, searching wise men, and a jealous monarch. Church, don't lose the forest for the trees. Remember the whole story. If it were a made-up fable, with all of these interesting elements in a final analysis, if it was just a fable, it helps nobody. There's no hope. The Christmas story is not intended to teach you a bunch of moral lessons that require no history to be helpful. Jesus isn't just some great teacher. He's your redeemer. 
It's a story that is rooted in real history, real acts of God that are intended to provide for you and me the one thing we desperately need. This is what we need. Not moral lessons, we need moral rescue. Jesus has rescued you morally because you don't measure up, and because of that, we should be so incredibly grateful and transformed more and more in his image. The Christmas story is about a God of glorious grace, right? Grace on top of grace. He's on march, invading human history with the grace of redemption. What was the cost of grace? Jesus wasn't left in the manger. The cost of grace was the price of the death of his son. What the birth of Jesus tells us is that in love, both the Father and the Son were willing. Don't miss that this Christmas, Christmas season. Don't leave Jesus in the manger. Here's where Jesus is at. He's ruling and reigning. He has defeated death in the grave. His work on the cross wasn't just finished with death. He's been raised to new life, and you are an heir of that gift. Isn't that beautiful? He bridged the gap. He bridged the gap. Hallelujah, amen. I want to urge you with this. Because of Jesus, bridge the gap. Bridge the gap this Christmas season. Reach out to people. Jesus came in and he reached out to you. He didn't leave you dead. He brought you to new life. Because of his work, be transformed more and more in his image, especially in this Christmas season. Don't lose sight of those things. That Jesus, because of his great love, humbly came. He served and loved you, and he urges you to do this. Go and bridge the gap to others. Give more this Christmas season by remembering the gospel and this by giving the gospel. Romans 10 tells us that people are saved by hearing the gospel. The church here will be surrounded. All of us collectively here in this room are going to be surrounded by thousands likely in the next few weeks of people that have not called upon the name of Christ. It doesn't cost them a dime to share with them the hope of salvation through Jesus. Let's strive towards that this Christmas season. Amen? This morning we're going to remember Christ.